Welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast with Joe Lavelle and Dr. Glenn Winkle. Today we are speaking with Dr. Laura Mealy, who is a coach and a sports psychology consultant, in addition to being a lifelong athlete. Glenn and I asked Dr. Mealy to join us to discuss her deep knowledge on the psyche of the injured athlete, which in many ways applies to the older athlete who is dealing with the mental suffering of declining physical performance. Dr. Mealy has personal and professional experience to draw on in her prescriptions for dealing with the temporary loss of access to the physical activities you love or finding a path to rekindling satisfaction and pleasure in sport despite falling performance. Dr. Mealy's answers have given me pause as I rethink how I want to stay strong but also remain happy in my athletics. I think you'll find some things to think about as well. All right, let's talk to Dr. Mealy. And sorry for the funny voice. I'm still recovering from the cold that I had in spades when I was talking to Dr. Mealy. Dr. Laura Mealy, welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, welcome, Dr. Mealy. Good to have you. Thanks. Yes. Well, I appreciate you taking some time for the older athlete. Your perspective as a sports psychology consultant is one that's been missing from our episodes lately. We've been having guests on recently talking about pain and recovering from injury, but we haven't really said much about the psyche, the mental state of the athlete who's injured, who has has lost a step or they've lost something and now they aren't what they were, maybe temporarily or maybe permanently. And I think that this is an important part of the story. And, uh, and I say that from personal experience. Uh, my guess is that Glenn is going to have some stuff to add to this. Uh, but before we do that, I wanted to ask you, I know that you you wrote a book called uh, Psyche of the Injured Athlete, and that's what originally caught my attention. But having read some of your articles and listened to your talks, I know that there's more here than just dealing with injury. Can you give us, uh, our audience, a little bit of a background, you know, a little bit of the backstory uh, on you, your book, and uh, how you help athletes now? I don't know if we have enough time, however. Um, <laughs> the short I, version. The short version. I've been an athlete my, my whole life, and um, I was a, a three-sport athlete, but my love has always been basketball. It still is. Um, I come from Queens, New York, and I played basketball at Christ the King High School, which back then was a powerhouse for women's basketball. It still is. You know, we were the number one team in the country, and wow. there were a lot of pioneers like a couple of girls pr uh, prior to me who became all Americans. And I remember wanting to be just like them. So I worked really hard and um, it didn't really come easy to me. And I became a, a very good basketball player. Um, I was heavily recruited and I ended up at Arizona state university. I was a sun devil. I see you're wearing the t-shirt. My dream was to make it to Barcelona in 1992. Um, I worked my butt off and then ended up injuring my back. I injured my back right before Pac-10s my freshman year. And then I had to, um, I had a drop foot. So my my foot would drag after I played, a lot of nerve pain. And back then the doctors told me that I would never really be able to have children, carry a pregnancy, carry my, ch you know, and told my parents this. So of course my parents were on edge like, well, we don't want you to play, even though I didn't care, you know, I still wanted to play. And um, the next year I came out, I rehabbed and against all the doctors, you know, well, at least the doctors pretty much out there 
played tried again, and um, at the right and right at the when Pac-10 started and into Pac-10s, well, because it was Pac-12 now, but Pac-10 back then, I was injured and I was devastated because all I could think of was I was going to the 92 Olympics. That was it. That was always on my mind. Um, and I lost who I was. And I think it was very damaging for me. I was, you know, 3,000 miles away. Here I am, a girl from Queens, New York, in the middle of the, you know, wild, wild west. Everything was, was different. So it was kind of... Um, difficult for me to transition out of sport. But what I did was I worked on my my psyche. I worked on my mentality about it. And um, I wouldn't say if anyone reads my book in the first chapter, I talk about what I went through. You know, I went through about a, not that I was ever an alcoholic, but I drank a lot. You know, I was young. I didn't care. What am I going to do now? I'm lucky I even made it really to graduate at that time because I was so lost. So because of um, all of that pain and everything I went through, I always wanted to work with kids. So I became a phys ed teacher, a coach. And then with that, I always wanted to. I actually had this name, Psyche of the Injured Athlete, since 1992. I always said that I would write this book because I always hoped that I could help any athlete who transitioned out of sport or who's been injured to let them know that they're not alone. And um, I, so now, even when I coached previous to where I am now, I have helped athletes, my kids who identify with sport too much, even my own children, I try to teach them sport is what you do, it's not who you are. I never learned that and I was never taught that. So um, I think I still associate myself with, you know, predominantly being an athlete, my, if it wasn't for all of my sports and what I've done, I, I wouldn't do all the things that I do. Um, I still play basketball. Um, I play in men's leagues out here in Philly. I, I just started on Sunday. Again, I play Thursdays and Sunday. I just started with guys who were like previous NBA players, division one player. I got recruited from some of the guys from the other leagues. Like, Oh, you got to come play with us. And I was like, Oh man, I'm going to get my butt kicked. And I actually surprised myself and I didn't, it was nice. So I think there's some kind of, um, identification still, but it's not so much that I'm Laura, the basketball player, you know, um, to me, I feel like I survived a lot of different psychological things that really could have crippled people. Well, so. probably do cripple some people. I guess that's maybe who you wrote the book for, or, or maybe in people who help people like that also. Correct. I found it very cathartic writing the book um, because I was crippled for a long time. I mean, I honestly can say till I got into my mid thirties, did I, I don't know if I ever really got over the fact that I lost my career. I mean, for instance, like I said, you know, I'm playing on Sunday and I, and my daughter had said, mom, do you ever wonder like just the other day, like, I guess she was telling one of her friends at school, Hey, my mom boxed and played basketball and they don't believe her. She's like, well, Google my mom, you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, it's so funny. And uh, she's like, do you ever think about what you might've might've been? And I said, to this day, it's still too painful to see, you know, where, where I could have been as, as a basketball player, you know, or just, but the great thing is I always said to myself, I'm going to fill the void. So I filled it with academics. I fill it with working with, I mean, the best thing I could have done, and maybe my mother was always right. They, she always said, God closes one window and opens another. And I'm like, I'm going to bash that window. I used to tell her, <laughs> you know, I used to get so frustrated. Well, what do you mean? But yeah. look back and working with all these great children and kids and athletes that I've worked with, and I still work with, yeah. you know, I sit on the bench for, um, 
the three AAA state champions, uh, Devon Prep, uh, out here in Devon, Pennsylvania, and um, I get to work with those athletes, and I and I work with the coaches, and I observe like the coaches' behaviors and the athletes' behaviors, and I help everyone, and I and I absolutely love it. The fact that you love it, I think maybe is going to be the key here. Um, but let's come back to that, Glenn. Yes. What about you, man? You've had a long, successful athletic career. And do I dare say that you're not what you once were? I mean, I see you stretching like a madman trying to, <laughs> you know, recapture something. Um, has, it, has it been challenging for you um, psychologically? Well, you know, it's funny, Laura made that statement about how we define ourselves by our sport. And I was a bike racer. And I was defined by the sport. And once I got past that point, I could define myself by anything I wanted to define myself, whether bike racing or whether it be, you know, coaching or whether it be, you know, academics. Um, so it wasn't such a hard transition because, like, like you said, she filled the void. I filled, we filled the void with something else. And in my case, it was academics or it was coaching. And, um, you know, I mean, there, I mean, there are times I just wish I could. You know, there, there are times in, in your mind, you know what you can do, what you could have done, but you just realize that it's not possible anymore to do that. But, but that's okay because I've been there. You know, I've won the gold medals and stuff like that. And I've discovered that, you know, winning a world championships is a big deal, but it's not a big deal. It's just, it's, especially at master's level, it's, you know, it's, it's fun. It's an accomplishment, but it's not, you know, it's not, you're not the, you're not the king of the mountain. You're just, it's just like, it's for fun. You know, it's sport. So. Right, right. Okay. Well, um, okay. So I, I don't fit into either of those uh, categories. I never was like a world champion or, or even thought that I was ever going to be. But that said, I can remember as a little kid giving up football. And I regretted it for years as a little kid. I, I couldn't, I, I, I have a heavy heart every time I thought about it because I wanted to be a professional football player. Not that I was a, ever had a chance, but I wanted that. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I, I think that a lot of people, regular people who had no chance ever still have these little holes in themselves that they try to fill up by, you know, whatever they're doing now. And, and that makes it all the harder when they can't do it anymore or as much. And so, these ideas for how to fill these gaps, you know, maybe by helping other people or, or what have you. I think that th that's going to be interesting to, to some people. Dr. Mealy, what, what do you think? I mean, do you think that this applies to just regular people? Absolutely. I mean, you right there, you hit the hammer on the head. You know, I, I play basketball with a lot of older men who are in their 60s. I play with a man who was in late 80s. He's amazing. I mean, people, they don't want to give it up because I, a lot of the men I work with they, uh, that I play ball with, they look at me and, and this one guy's 72 and I love him to death. And he said to me, and I said, how do you, you know, keep doing this? I wake up and I'm her. I'm 51 and you're 72, you know, yeah. and, and he goes, don't stop. He goes, just don't stop. Just enjoy it. And you know what? When you were younger and you were so competitive and, you know, when you talk about people who are at higher levels, who are going for, who had gold medals or who received whatever accolades, right? We had that competition. Now we do it for pure enjoyment. And we feel the same thing. Like the guys I, I hang out with and I play ball with, when they get injured, they're so upset that they can't play in the, the, the rec league next week, you know, yeah. because they just... 
they do it for the love of it. And they just say, don't stop moving. And, and for me, I say, don't stop your mind from moving when you do hit a wall. You know, there's guys I play with. Somebody's always getting hurt. If this guy didn't, you know, tear his Achilles or this guy didn't hurt his knee and he's out, we see him next season. But these guys keep coming back for the love of it. And, and how do they sustain? It's their mental, you know, fortitude, how they push forward. You know, we all do. We all have lives. We all have careers now and businesses and, and whatever it is. But, you know, the what I love and I always ask people are, what makes you keep going? And they say, we don't want to stop moving. We just love it so much. And it's not even, you know, a lot of the older guys are like, what, you know, I get a little testy when I play. And but I'm a woman and the guys beat me up a little bit. So I get a little feisty. And they go, Laura, it's not even worth it. Just keep playing, you know, don't get upset. And they've taught me so much, too, about my own self. And, and not that I don't have self-control, but it just makes me appreciate it just so much more that I'm st- I never thought that I'd be playing at this age. And then I'm playing with men who are 20 years older, at my, my age, a little younger. I mean, the people I play with range from, you know, 40 to 86 or whatever, you know? So, I mean, in the different leagues, there's over 50, there's over 60. But the one thing we all have in common is the mentality. It's we love it and we just want to do it. And and it this what I speak about in my book is definitely applicable to your everyday person because it's relatable. Yeah. Everybody has something that they wanted to do. And when they lose it, sometimes we all figure some people don't figure it out. And, and we can get into that in a bit, you know, but it, it's, and it's hard because there have been athletes who have committed suicide because they can't handle it. When, when that when that other shoe drops, man, they just can't handle it. And, it, and it's really difficult. And one of the things I try to do with my young athletes is, like I said, try not to let them define themselves by the sport because it's so painful. I, I think it makes it so much more painful. And um, that's something I really, I'm, I'm, I'm a big advocate with all the coaches and I work with kids across the country. I mean, this isn't my day job, you know, but I work with many, many athletes across the country and, and teams. And, and that's the biggest thing I, my take home for them is, Listen, it's great. You want to, you, I say, shoot for the stars. You want to become an Olympic athlete. You want to become a professional athlete. Go for it. But also know, find a passion on, on the side too. Have something else you love. Uh, well, let's, let's break this down into two buckets. Cause it, it seems to me that there's two kinds of situations here. There's the, the injury that the aggressive fighter overcoming obstacles athlete refuses to accept and does too much and they turn some temporary thing into a chronic permanent problem. What sort of mindset should people have to help them deal with injuries that could be temporary as long as they treat it right? Well, I think it depends on the injury. That's that's like a that's a loaded question, you know. I think it depends what the injury is where they are in what is it their career are they younger are they older you know are we talking about just like your weekend warrior yeah yeah just just regular people who exercise because they like it and they're trying to stay healthy but mostly they like being strong and they don't want to give that up and and it's it's how they spend their free time and now i have to take a you know three months off are you crazy how am i going to do that what am i going to do you want to choke your doctor when they tell you that, that's for sure. I mean, I even have that discussion in the book saying these doctors will say to kids or even, you know, adult athletes and say, oh, yeah, you're out for three months. Don't worry about it. You can play next season. What, is, what do you mean? What am I supposed to do with myself? This is like exactly. all I want to do. It makes me happy, you know. 
You know, I think people have to definitely dig within themselves and say, what else makes me tick? What else do I love to do? The first thing that I do want to say, you know, um, for people is if, if you have something where it's a pretty significant injury and you're told take those three months off, you know, find something maybe you can do like, get on, a, am I allowed to still ride the bike? Can I do the arm bicycle? Just something because some people still need to have that, that physical, you know, um, piece to it. And a lot of doctors are, are pretty open about, oh, go ahead, get in, the, get in the pool. You know, you can go run in a pool. You know, um, I do a lot of training with athletes also in, in a pool because I've also trained athletes. So we get in a pool and we do the sports psych work and things like that. And or can they just do the, you know, the upper body ergometer, you know, the the, the arm bike. And, and I always love to do that anyway. But something to keep them uh, physically um capable, I guess, in their mind, but then they have to still try to learn to switch gears where this is where, um, meditation became very important for me. Mm. Um, really calming the mind when, when you're injured and, and had someone taught me this years ago, I probably wouldn't have drank as much as a young kid. You know, I probably wouldn't have been as feisty because I, or angry. I think I was angry for a long time because it was like a death for me. You know, here I am, this city girl going, you know, make it all the way across the country playing for, you know, one of the biggest conferences and then losing everything. And it was and then when I wanted to move back to New York, basically, my father said, you made your bed lie in it. You have a good opportunity out there. Make something of yourself. Mm. And that was very. very Yeah, it was the best thing. It it hurt. But I, I mean, I love him for it even more every day, you know, because it was so I didn't understand it then. And I was really mad at him. But he did the right thing for me because he forced me to find who I am and what I need to do for myself. He's like, I'm not going to do you any good holding your hand. You know, I'm here. It was always there. My mother and father, very supportive. But um, it's it's different today, too, for people. But for older people who are injured, I say... You really learn to calm the mind and not too many people are going to hear about meditation are into it or they learn how to just slow the mind down and deep breathe and learn how to relax. I'm a very go, 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 ambitious workaholic. And I have, I feel I finally got over how many years now, I'm not even at the peak or the pinnacle of really the true part of meditation yet, but I'm getting there. But I've definitely learned to calm my mind down um, and slow the process because sometimes I believe we miss the message. I believe sometimes when we get sick or there's an injury. Now, if, if you would have told me this, you know, when I was injured, I'd want to punch you out. You know what I mean? But now I look at it as why did my ankle roll last week? You know, or why is my back hurting? And, and I just and I calm my mind down and I say, all right. Maybe it's it's stopping me from doing something harmful again, or maybe there's a reason I need to slow down. I always feel like something's telling me to slow down when something happens. And that's what I tell a lot of the, the guys that I play ball with and a lot of my friends who participate, like I have friends who are um, Ironmen and, and different things. And, and I'm like, she's like, oh, this hurts or that or whatever. I tell them, really look into it and ask why this is happening right at this moment. And maybe there's a reason to it. And as much as you don't want to hear that, when you learn to meditate and try to concentrate on why something in the universe is telling you to slow down, I believe you really get that answer. I I truly believe years ago, had I been told that, 
it wouldn't have taken me so long to finish my doctorate. It wouldn't have taken me so long to get to where I am today, even though I'm very proud because I really went through a lot um, that I hope other people now that I work with will never have to go through. Um, but I say slow the mind down and, and really absorb what's going on and why you were told to slow down for three months. And also get a second opinion because sometimes doctors, they're not so, they're not so sport friendly for, for us old folks. <laughs> uh, good advice. Okay, well, the second part then, we were talking, the first part was temporary things, which you, know, you never really know, but some things obviously are, you know, sprained ankles and some stuff are temporary. But there are other things that happen which are more permanent. Um, you know, maybe it's a medical condition that has come on or, you know, they had a serious you know, knee injury or even just an accumulation of age. And they just really just can't do what they used to do. And they just feel like it's a bit of a shock to be fragile and vulnerable to, you know, this person who's been strong and active and did whatever they wanted without consequence their whole life. And now they can't. And, you know, finding that 80% is sometimes hard. Sometimes I think it goes, it's easier to go to zero, which from a health perspective is a disaster. It also, you, you, you then lose a lot of ground so that when you motivation comes back, it's very hard. It's much harder to come back physically from that. For me personally, th this is one where I, I have some personal experience with it. And the problem that I've had here is that small goals just seem so small. The things that I used to do were big. Uh, you know, I used to climb mountains and nearly died lots of times. And it was just the, the last shred of energy that got me home. And now my wife says, hey, you want to go on a hike? And I'm thinking, oh, I couldn't possibly do 20 hours. <laughs> And she's like, no, no, I'm talking about like go for an hour. I'm like, well, where could you get to in an hour? You can't get to the summit of anything in an hour. What's the point? <laughs> you know, I mean, why would we bother with that? And so I, I say, no, I don't want to go for a one hour hike in the woods to get nowhere. <laughs> well, I must be making a mistake with that sort of thing. Help me with this. Well, I think everything's perspective with certain people and it's baby steps, you know. Some people do like the small incremental goals and some people like yourself, like the, they want to just go for it all at, all at one time. But, you know, sometimes there are people who can handle that and some people can't. And I think that um, you can set yourself up for failure and you don't want to definitely do something like that. Um, me personally, if someone asked me to hike, I'll laugh because I don't even want to hike anymore. <laughs> I'm like, I get up to play basketball on Sunday morning, and even though I'm a maniac once I touch the ball. But I think, um, again, everything goes in increments. And I think if you set specific goals, and when I mean specific, I mean specific. What is it that you want to do? And then if you have certain process goals, how do you want to get there? You know, what way incrementally do you want to get there? Yeah. So me, I have... I've, I've read half a book and I read about three or four books a month in the last probably two years in a lot of sports psychology, all of that, that stuff. Um, and one of the books is write it down, make it happen. Hmm. And um, see, I'm plugging for another author that I look at that. But so, but I've always been that type of person when I write something down or a goal that I want to do, hmm. I, I put it in front of me. 
You know, it's, I even tell my athletes, and so it's funny because um, I work with a girl who's an athlete, but we don't talk about any athletic stuff. She, she has some, you know, some anxiety issues and I help her out. And she has all these sticky notes. Like I taught her to write all these little mantras and goals and everything, because I always talk about write it down and make it happen because you create mantras from that. Mm-hmm. And I think if people learn to uh, self-talk is so important when it comes to goals, because not only do you write them down and you set these goals, you speak of them within you. You know, um, one of my mantras before I go to sleep for me, and this is just for my lifestyle, is I will live a life of abundance. It's not just a financial abundance, right? It's love, it's laughter, it's it's holistic uh, abundance in my life. And I find that, that that mantra has really carried me along and I've, I've been very fortunate. I almost died in, um, in 2017 from a, a horrific uh, surgery that went wrong. I was laying in the in the hospital for 31 days, and all I kept telling myself was, "I will not be broken. I will not be. I will. This will not break me." I was a mess. I, I was. I thought I'd never see my daughters again, and I got out of the hospital, and I thought I was going to have a a bag on my intestines for the rest of my life. I'll leave it at that. And I didn't, thank God. But I had a walker for six weeks, and they told me, you know, it's possible you might not play basketball again. You know what I mean? Again, you're telling me I'm, this is how many times now, you know, someone's telling me I shouldn't be playing basketball. And I was like, well, this is BS. That's not happening. So what I did was it was incremental. I, I couldn't even get with the walker from my house down the street, which was maybe 30 feet. And so I would, okay, today I'm going to do 10 feet and turn back. The next day I'm going to do five more feet. And that's what I did. And it was very painful my my stomach was i mean i had 25 staples from here all the way down i was like no this isn't happening again i and because it i wasn't going to allow something to affect my life it wasn't just as me a basketball player it was me as a person quote unquote so for me i what i did was it was increments now again like i said that may not work for certain people some people may not want to do the self talk some people need to just write it down and look at it but there's so many different opportunities for people. Uh, I, I guess I should say strategies yeah. to assist them to get through the things that happen in their lives. But forward progress sounds like an important part of it. I mean, just sit around feeling sorry for yourself and wouldn't have worked out. Yeah. Setting goals that are, I guess, reasonable given the situation. And then, you know, progressive one. And then the next one is harder. And then the next one is harder get to where you wanted to go i mean and it's not for everybody i mean and it's okay sometimes to have a pity pool right we we sometimes feel sorry for ourselves because things sometimes can be extremely painful not only mentally but physically so how we rebound from that is important but it's okay to let people know hey you know what it's okay to feel bad for yourself sometimes and cry about it for a little bit but don't stay there i think i wrote that my book you know you can find that pity pool, but don't, don't swim yourself out of it. Yeah. And how do you do it? There's, you know, the, like we just said, progressive, you know, uh, forward motion. It's so important. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously an emotional thing, losing things, fear. But the solution is by somehow bringing reason to the conversation, uh, maybe not denying the emotion, but not just living in the emotion. Sorry, I tell people feel it, really feel the pain. I think it's very important 
there's this important aspect to feeling the, the pain. And I don't mean just the physical. I mean the emotional. You know, it's okay to cry and let it out. It's okay to feel and know it's there, but then you need to let it go. So feel it and let it go. And I tell a lot of my athletes that when they feel like they can't get past certain things. I tell my, my, my daughter, my ex-husband died two years ago, and she will not deal with the pain. So I tell her, you have to feel it. You have to think about him and miss him so much that it hurts that you just cry and get it out because you have to feel it in order to let it go and move forward. Now, I'm not saying you're never going to miss him and you're not going to have moments where you want to break down and cry. But if you don't get past it now, it's going to hit you like a wall when you hit a certain age. And, and that goes for everybody. And that's not just a death by a person. Like I said, a death of something in your life that was that important. People included. Wow. Powerful stuff. So I kind of directed the conversation to what I thought made sense, but maybe we can um, let you give us just some general advice for the older athlete who is like the guys you play basketball with. They hurt more every year. They are tempted to stop, you know, and let me, let me just stop and see if I stop hurting as much. And of course, <laughs> anybody who's tried that knows that that's not how it works. Yeah. But what advice would you give them? You know, there's, there's a few things. There's one for the, for the guys who want to continue to push through. I say push through until you can't. You know, don't push yourself to the limit where you get yourself in, incapacitated. Um, but I also try to redirect people. So, for instance, excuse me, if, if you can't referee, volunteer and coach. Go to your local schools or, or the YMCA and maybe train people or do something where you can pass along the knowledge because you'd be very surprised when you see people do well and you've helped them. It actually helps you get through what you're going through and helps you heal as well. My whole life has been based on academics, coaching, working with kids, working with people. I love to see people be, be lifted up and work hard and, and, and do well. So when I work with some of the, the older athletes and stuff, I, I tell them, what, what is it that you like to do? You know, well, I used to coach or I did this back then when my kids were younger. I go, well, what's holding you back from doing it now? Don't you realize how much you can get out of that? If you're, if you're doing that with, with other people's children or your grandchildren or something, and they're like, you know, I never really thought about that That's way. That's great. That's great. You know? Yeah. Glenn, you remember when we talked to uh, John Oyen? Oh, yeah. Back when we started the podcast. John Oyen is a friend of ours who's an older athlete. You know, he's still kicking it hard for his age. He's, he's amazing. <laughs> and, and we asked him, got him on the podcast, and I thought, all right, we're going to learn his secrets his secrets for recovery and for longevity and, you know, his special diet of certain berries that he got in the woods of Nederland up in the mountains. And he said that the key was camaraderie. It's the people. He says, if you, if you're with people who you like, that makes all the difference. I agree. It, it keeps you going. These guys I play with have been playing with each other since some of them in high school. Oh, and they're wow. in their seventies mm -hmm. now. Oh yeah, yeah. They they say keep going, but they do. They're very close knit. And the ones who don't play anymore, like we talk about, 
believe it or not, all the the older guys have like they, they sit across. They all come to the playoffs of, the, of every rec thing. They, I mean, and I'm talking older men, 80s, you know, <laughs> just watching the games and enjoying it. And you know, they've really embraced me. It's been five years. I, I don't really know a lot of people out here, but it's been five years that I've been playing with these guys, and they took me like I'm part of their family. You know, I'm the only female, and they all and they're wonderful to me, and they're great. They're, and I feel like they're mentors. Some of them, like I sit and I ask them these questions. What is this? secret like you're still playing or you're doing this and you did what you ran one of the guys i play with is about 67 and i mean there's a lot of 60 somethings who do this but he runs marathons still with his daughter wow and he's and he's like he's got these muscles i'm like oh my god what do you do you know i mean he's awesome and he's a little feisty thing when we play basketball and he he pushes me all over the place i'm like oh my god you know and i'm 5 11 <laughs> i swear he's maybe 5 4 Wow. It's yeah, he's just he's all I love him. We all love him to death. He's awesome. But I think I definitely agree with the camaraderie. It, it's it's really your support group. I, I think I speak about that in my book as well. When you're injured or when you're transitioning out of your sport or your or something that you love to do, the camaraderie and the support group is so paramount. The people that one, you need to surround yourself by positive people. You don't want people who are energy sucks or anything like that. or Because there's a lot of people as they get older, they just get ornery. You know, I call them angry elves. I like to stay away from the you know, I'm not an angry elf. I can be one, but I have to be provoked. You know, for me, I choose happiness. There's so many things I could look at in my life and make me sad or make me angry. But why? You know, so the guys that we all play basketball with, there's a few angry elves in the group. But most of them are just such great guys and they really enjoy each other. You know, it's yeah. so I definitely agree with the camaraderie. I think the camaraderie alone has helped one of the men um, who doesn't play anymore. I think he's 92. He's about six, five. He played for University of Miami back in the day. Yeah. He is like my hero. I love this man. Every time I play on Thursday nights, I go sit with him. You know, I talk to him. He hugs me. I give him a big hug. I just love him. And he always gives me such great advice. You know, he follows my, my, my older daughter is very athletic. So he follows, um, follows her. And he always talks about like what else he does. And he just says, I keep going. I just keep moving. And I, and he walks steps every day. Yeah. He makes sure that he walks up and down. I think a couple of flights of steps every day and just, and it's the same theme. Surround yourself by positive people and don't stop moving. Right. Just I mean, I don't swimming. know if that's, that's a secret for everybody. Yeah. Else. There are people who, and, and swimming, and there's people who actually keep swimming. Eventually, I'll probably just end up swimming or running in the pool <laughs> because <laughs> everything's going to hurt so much. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, my wife has been a master swimmer for a long time, and, and it's a great camaraderie in, the, in that crowd as well. So. Yeah, find your people and, uh, and and stay with them. Even if you have to take some time off to heal from something, stay with your people. Stay with what makes you happy. That's great. Dr. Meal, is there anything else that uh, you would want to um, offer to our audience? And then um, let's get from you uh, how people can find you online so they can find out more about you. The main take home is be kind to yourself. Speak, you know, speak positive to yourself and really learn how to calm your mind when things happen. I think that's one of the biggest things that's gotten me through a lot is really try to find the calmness in, in your mind, um, which can be very, very difficult at times. You know, it's very trying, but uh, it's good to do. 
Um, other than that, just keep moving. <laughs> just keep moving. And, and how can they find you? You've got a website? I do. Um, my website is mindoverbodyathletics.org. I'll put that in the show notes. And uh, your book is found where? My book can be found on Amazon. Um, it can be found online pretty much anywhere. Um, Barnes and Noble's online. I don't even know. I have it somewhere and they just put it everywhere. But if you really, Amazon's the, the easiest place to, to find it. Sure, sure. Uh, I hate to admit that I buy everything from Amazon anymore. I, I don't mean oh. to. It's just so much easier now. So they win. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. I actually, um, and not that I'm trying to plug this, but for anybody who does have like younger children, I started a children's book. Um, one of them is called, well, it's called the adventures of fluffy and cinnamon, huh. but the most recent that's out already, but the most recent one is adventures of fluffy and cinnamon with playing softball. So it's going to be a segment of different sports. So like uh, fluffy is a little doggy and he's in a, he's, he can't hit, he's in a slump. Yeah talk about how he can get out of it and be kind, you know, be positive to yourself and you have to keep practicing and see yourself hitting the ball. And then eventually fluffy hits the ball and all everybody's happy. So, yeah. So that's kind of the direction I've been going. And then my, I'm also writing a psyche of the teenage athlete. Now that you have teenagers of your own, (laughs) you know all about that, huh? Well, you know, uh, in my last life, I was a phys ed teacher for 14 years and I was a high teacher and coach. So it's amazing how great you can be with everybody else's children. <laughs> you know, until you have your own and your own, and then you're no longer coaching yours because they're older and you don't want to coach them. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's a lot. My, my daughter plays travel volleyball and softball and it's, it's, it's something. And it's, and I think when you talk about struggles, I, I think it's hard as a parent when you have the capacity to help other children and you, like I watched my daughter lose her father and, and, and it was a, it was obviously a very difficult loss for me, but she was 12, you know, it's going on three years. And then she, when she has her ups and downs, you know, softball is like an individual team sport. So sometimes you have those individual failures, yeah. you know, like striking out or whatever, sure. missing balls or critical plays. And you can't, you can't fix that one. You know what I mean? Because other children, I can help them with their mental routine. With her, she'll listen and she gets into it, but not like my other athletes. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 interesting. Yeah, I have teenagers too, but I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> well, fantastic. Um, what do you think that the psyche of the teenage athlete will be available? Um, I would say probably by next fall. All right. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you, Dr. Mealy and Glenn. Uh, you all have a great evening. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in to our discussion about the psyche of the injured athlete with Dr. Laura Mealy. You can find more information about Dr. Mealy, her website, and her book in the show notes. While you're there, you can sign up to take a free fitnesses practices assessment, send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. That'd be a great help. Thanks again.